Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. On today's episode of the podcast, we have dietitian Samantha Scruggs, and Samantha is a private practice dietitian who has really become an online marketing expert. Through her experiences growing her own private practice and using things like Facebook ads to attract clients, she's really become a master at things like copywriting and running Facebook ads. And we have her on the podcast today to talk a little bit about how she got so good at marketing online and to have her share some of her best, juiciest marketing and copywriting tips for us dietitians. I love this episode. She breaks it down and gives so many actionable tips. I can't wait for you guys to listen. Let's dive in. Today on the podcast, we have Samantha Scruggs, who is an amazing dietitian who's here to talk with us about copywriting and marketing stuff. So I'm very excited to hear her tips. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, so I guess I'd like to start out to learning a little bit more about you. I feel like today you're one of the few marketing specialist dietitians. Um, I, I, there's not that many out there, and I've really <laughs> seen you be active in this space online and on Facebook, and it's super intriguing. Um, so I know that's probably not where you started, so I'd like to kind of get to back up and get an overview of your story. Like, how long have you been a dietitian? What did you do in the beginning, and how did it lead you to where you are today? Oh, it's a very long story, um, but I'll try to shorten it up just a little. So I did become licensed in 2011, and I worked in dialysis for a little while in the hospital. And in 2013, I decided to start a blog and uh, very similar to your story where you started your recipe blog. Um, and I kind of started a side hustle. So my first customer, actually my husband got for me because he is very much a salesman and a talker. So he was like, hey, my wife's seeing clients. You should go see her. So, and it was a total disaster. Um, but 2013, that's really when I got my start uh, in the blogging world. And I bought a course called blog that converts. It was the first course I ever bought. And that really started my addiction to online courses. <laughs> I'm familiar with that addiction. <laughs> it's a very lethal addiction. It will cost you a lot of money. <laughs> who, who was that course by? Um, Derek Halpern. And you know, I don't even think he, he doesn't even do that kind of like now he's, st he started a nutrition product of all things with, called Truvani with um, the food babe woman, um, who's actually from this area too. But yeah, so that it was a great course. And I learned quite a lot. Um, but I just like I had to figure it out. I was like, I wanted to figure out blogging, I wanted to figure out um, how to build a website. So I got into WordPress, and I wanted to figure out uh, all this different stuff. And then it got to be so overwhelming though. And I had children at that time. I was still having children. So I sort of put it on the back burner for a little while and then came back to it just within the past like three or four years. Awesome. And then you also have a private practice today. Yeah. Yeah. So I started the private practice in, um, so what started as a side hustle 
really became a full-time private practice, I think, in 2018. So about a year and a half ago is when, um, it was in May, actually, May of 2018, that I quit my job and I was like, I'm done with this. I can't, I can't work a job anymore. Um, there's a lot of drama behind that. Um, I, I wasn't in a very great work environment for me. Uh, I was a clinical nutrition manager, which was just, it was not the right role for me. And then I dove headfirst into private practice and um, it's, it's been a really fun ride, but <laughs> very much a roller coaster. <laughs> oh yeah. I feel like that encapsulates entrepreneurship <laughs> altogether. So, exactly. okay. So would you say that maybe you got into marketing by learning how to market in your private practice? Yeah, I think so in some ways. Um, that's when I really got into the very analytical stuff. Um, when I had started my blog, I had done quite a few online programs about like how to promote your blog and how to do Facebook ads. Back then, they were completely different than they are now. So I, I think I started my first Facebook ad in like 2015, maybe 2016. But I knew kind of how to do Facebook ads. And then I was like, okay, well, now I have this business. <laughs> so let me put two and two together. Um, and run Facebook ads for my business, but I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, and then I tried hiring agencies and they had no clue what they were doing. And so it, it just became something I had to figure out. Like it was like my, my mission to figure out how to do Facebook ads in a way that would work for a dietitian practice, which is you have so many regulations, you have to be HIPAA compliant. And then Facebook has their whole set of regulations and rules because you cannot talk to people about their health conditions, you know? And so it was like this big puzzle that I just like had to figure out. And so I did, I, I did finally figure it out. And then all of the other dietitians that I knew started asking me for help. And so then that blew up into a whole nother business. So. Don't you feel like, I, I don't know, in my experience, that's how the best businesses have been born when other people are just like asking you and you're like, well, okay, I guess I'll turn this into a business. <laughs> yeah. I, I was very resistant to it at first. And I've had several conversations with, like, I used to refer people out all the time. Like I would refer them to Stephanie Claremont or I'd further refer them to Tracy Brown, some of the other dietitians that do a lot of like coaching and marketing or um, Ashley Coffer, Leslie Battelle. And it got to the point where I was like, man, I feel like I'm getting more inquiries for marketing as compared to um, you know, we see about 15 to 20 hours of private practice a week, but like I'm getting all these leads for marketing and I'm just referring them out. Like I really probably should take this as a hint that people want my help about something and I should probably just do it even though I don't want to. Um, but then I realized that I really loved it um, when I was helping other people with their marketing because it saw their business grow and explode. Um, and I really love copywriting and I get to do a lot of that. I get to do a lot of copywriting. Um, my resistance to it was that I, I just didn't want to work with exclusively with dietitians, but, um, but it's actually been really great. I, I've, I've loved it. So I just hired a dietitian to come help with the practice so that I can focus more on marketing. So it's like the things that you're resistant to end up being the things that you end up actually enjoying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can see the, and hear, I mean, I'm reading it online, but I can like hear the passion in your posts when you talk about it. And it's very persuasive. Like, I'm like, I believe that this is a really great method and this is working. And when I'm ready to focus on that in my business, <laughs> you know, you're the one who comes <laughs> to mind. So um, I think I, the lesson that I pull from that is just like being authentic online can almost just like naturally bring things to you, even when you're not 
I feel like it's it's better than when you're like actively trying to chase people down. It's more like when you're just sharing what you know, then it more organically comes to you. Yeah. And I just, I would get so excited talking about it. Uh, and I, I went to a mastermind in October and that's when I had this big identity crisis, which you guys probably saw the result of where I was like, but I'm a, I'm a dietitian. Like I'm not a marketer. Like I am, this is what I do. I help people eat healthier. That's my, I, like I had my whole identity wrapped up in being a dietitian or being a nutritionist, whatever, having a private practice. And so I had to get over the fact that I wanted to do marketing. And I actually, there were a few times like on planes, like, you know, people ask, what do you do for a living? And I actually stopped and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a marketer. That, that's what I do. I do. I do online marketing. And it just like, this, this thing blossomed in my chest where I was like, oh my gosh, I really am a marketer. This is who I am now. But it, it took a while for me to be able to release that my identity wasn't entirely as a dietitian, you know? That's such good insight. I relate with that so hard. I'm kind of currently going through the same transition in terms of stepping a little bit away from creating nutrition content and leaning more into business content. And it is weird. It's like you went to school for this whole thing and you're, I don't know about you, but I have lots of loans that I'm still paying off. And I'm not even (laughs) using technically that degree. Although obviously the audience and the group of dietitians that we cultivated, we wouldn't have unless we were dietitians, but it's just really interesting. Our own like inner talk that yeah, pops it, up. And it can really, it can really mess with your mindset. Uh, and you know, I actually, I've been working on my master's degree kind of on the side because I did a bachelor program for my RD in the first place. And then they sort of went away from that or they are going away from that. But uh, I just finished my master's degree this semester and it sort of allowed me to say, okay, this is, this is the past me who has a master's in nutrition and did all this work and like scientific, you know, and can help coach and motivational interviewing and all that. And granted, all that stuff really helps with marketing. I don't, I don't think people realize how connected your marketing language is to what you learn in motivational interviewing. It's basically the same thing. You're just trying to convince people to buy a service instead of to change their diet. Um, so there, there's a lot of parallels, but it, it was a shift. It was a, and I, I even remember the exact date and moment that that shift happened because I was at that mastermind. I even have a recording of the conversation with my coach where he was like coaching me through the fact that I could be a marketer if I wanted to be. There was no sign that said you have to have a degree in marketing in order to do marketing. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Right. Like just giving yourself permission. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. Exactly. This is totally a side question that I'm throwing at you right now. But speaking of masterminds, um, (laughs) I've never been a part of a mastermind. And I'm so curious, like what happens in a mastermind? And like, how did you find this mastermind that you're in? And do you recommend it? Or just masterminds in general? Yeah, masterminding has got to be one of the best things that I've ever done for my business and for my own personal growth as well. Uh, I joined a program. This is my online course addiction coming out. Okay. So uh, I spend a good chunk of my revenue on online courses, like a a really good chunk, maybe 20 or 30%. Um, But uh, that's sad to admit, but it's true. Um, But I, I joined James Wedmore's business by design. 
know if you're aware of that program. It's really great. I, I highly recommend it. And I'm not an affiliate uh, yet. Anyway, and from there, I joined it through uh, Sold With Video, a guy named Brandon Lucero, who does video marketing. And it was through him that uh, I learned quite a bit about doing the video marketing that I've done. And then he offered a free, uh, free, what do you call it? Retreat, a free retreat, a free workshop. I don't know, uh, in person in California, actually. And so then I flew out there for that. And then he offered a year long, well, he didn't know at the time it was like a beta program, but it turned out to be a year long mastermind that he offered at that live event. And I joined on the spot because I was like, yes, this, this guy, like he, he knows what he's talking about. He is like really good friends with James Wedmore. There's no way I could have paid that amount of money to work with James Wedmore, but I feel like they're very close as far as their level of expertise. And they're all, they, they just, they're really great people too. They just, they really inspire me quite a lot. And um, so when I joined his mastermind, it turned out to be there was another live event. So that's the event that I went to in October. And I think they have another one coming up in March. And I'm actually up for renewal for the next year. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I just love working with them. So, but you just have to find a coach that you or somebody like a mastermind leader who really you resonate with them quite a lot. And um, Brandon is very much a copywriter at his heart too. He's very much a messaging expert. And I am a messaging copywriter type of expert too. I love to write. I love to do copywriting. So I think that's why he and I, you know, I connect with him on that level and why I joined his mastermind. And he's been an excellent coach. Cool. So, so like, do you meet monthly or is it just the live events? How, like, what's the, um, so he, he helped me with all the scripts that I wrote for all the video marketing that went out about the anti-anxiety lifestyle program, helped me kind of launch that program, get the first members into it. I'm going to be relaunching it in the new year a couple of times um, and just getting that marketing process dialed in for how to market. Cause back in 2009, you could just like launch a webinar and then make an offer at the end of the webinar and you could just get customers. And it's just, that's not working anymore. People are sick of webinars. They will only really go to a webinar if it's somebody they really know, like you, you know, like they, people know Erica, so they'll join her, your, you know, your webinar that you have on online marketing. But if you just throw a webinar up about any old topic, you, you're going to pay a lot of money for those people. If it's cold, um, even if it's warm, a lot of people just don't show up. They have it on their calendar. They just don't show up. So these days, video marketing has really become very key to marketing towards the clients that you want because people watch videos on their phone all day long. So they'll watch your videos, even if they won't watch a webinar or sign in. Um, there's just a lot more friction involved when you have to sign into a, a webinar software. So anyway, um, kind of on a tangent there, but, uh, but he's helped me get that piece of marketing in place for that. Cool. Well, Okay, so I have sort of a few questions just about, I think this is relevant to other dietitians who maybe want to dabble in other areas, but they feel like all of their time is tied up with seeing clients. Um, I like that you are outsourcing some of that, you know, you're like hiring another dietitian, so it's not all on you, because I think it's totally correct that like you can't do it all. Like at some point when you're growing, you have to bring on team members. I'm, I feel like I'm sort of at that point. I don't have any team members yet, but I can see the writing on the wall. So how 
how did you go about finding someone to hire and like having the trust to find someone to bring on to represent your business? Yeah, it it's it's very hard to let go of control, you know, because the, your business has been your baby essentially since 2013 when I started my my side hustle, but really over the past year and a half it being my full-time venture, um it just becomes like this thing that you created and it's like handing your baby over to a babysitter to be like, "Here you go. Have fun." Um but it started small. Like I started with just hiring a virtual assistant to help with some tasks and um hiring somebody to help with some of the sales because uh you know, once you generate leads online, then you have to have sales processed for them to turn into clients. So I had some help with sales and um started just hiring people for little time like maybe some Upwork or some Fiverr. Um, but when I realized that I needed to focus a lot on on the marketing in order to grow that, you know, my essentially three quarter full time job is sitting here in my office, which where I am right now, which you, your your podcast people can't see that, but that's where I am is counseling people in my office. Most days, I I just had to put some boundaries in place, and so then when I cut back my hours, there the demand is higher than the, the hours that you have available, and so then the next uh, obvious step is that you have to hire somebody to f- to fill that in, and so I started researching, you know, how I would um, make that happen. I have to get a credential through the insurance companies. I have to make sure that my um, practice is under a group um, NPI national provider identify. I think it's a national provider identification. Uh, for those who don't know, if you bill insurance, you have to have one of those. And I think every dietitian should probably have them, even if they're not billing insurance. So go get your NPI, everybody. It's free, right? And like takes like two seconds it's online. free and it does not take hardly any time. Actually, the person I hired got hers within like a week. It was really simple. So, um, and then getting her credentialed and, um, you know, I, I always saw this as a business that would grow. Even when I wasn't focused on marketing, I saw it as not just being me all the time anyway. So I knew it was going to be part of my my vision. It's just, the, it's just a matter of when, just like you, like you know that you're going to need to hire somebody eventually. And the question really is, when is the right time? And for me, it's just a matter of there's only so many hours in the day. And I also have children <laughs> and a husband that miss me uh, because I'm often working. And so I just had to say, it, the time is now. It, I have to do it now. And I put a posting on Indeed. And I got, I think I got four applications uh, because I put it in as entry level. A good friend of mine, Meg, was also hiring and she got like 40 but she put hers in as like a contract position for $50 an hour. So she got quite a few more. So I put mine for $22 to $25 an hour. I said, I just wanted to hire somebody entry level. And I found the fir- perfect person. Um, I don't I know. Can I say anything about her? Her name is Laura. Sure. She, she starts uh, January and I'm really excited to have her. I think she's going to be an amazing addition to the team. Um, I did hire based on personality type. So I wanted somebody who was not just like me, but complimented me. Did you have them take a test? I did. I had all my applicants take a personality test. I had them take the DISC and the Myers-Briggs. And I am a high D um, on the DISC with um, an I, like I'm a DI. And uh, I think I'm a little I. And then I'm an ENFP. I hired somebody who would be the opposite of me so that she would compliment me. So she's not a high D. She's like an SC. 
And um, that's what I really need for the business. And that's what I was looking for. So that's why I had people take a personality test to make sure that it would be somebody who had strengths in the areas that I am lacking. That's so funny. I, I've had one gig where I did something like that, um, but it was not, I wasn't joining someone's team. I was just doing a freelance project. And she told me that I was the most similar to her as the business owner. And for something where she was just outsourcing, she, that's what she was looking for because she wanted to know that it was like going to get done well, like to her standards. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's such a great idea because you can learn so much about somebody from their personality type and um, whether or not you're looking for somebody who's similar to you, like your freelancer, freelance job, or whether you're looking for somebody to compliment you, it's like... I read the book, John Maxwell's 21 Laws of Irrefutable Leadership, 20, I didn't say that right, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, that's it. And it, that's when it said in the book that if you have certain weaknesses, you have to make sure that your team makes up for those weaknesses. And one of my weaknesses as a high D is that I tend to be like a bull in a china shop a little bit. Like I just make decisions and I just like go and I don't think about like the long, like I don't think about the consequences. I, I'm very risk um I'm not risk averse. What's the opposite of risk averse? Like risk tolerant. I'm very risk tolerant. Like I'll just take risks and just like, I'm just like, let's just do it. Whatever it takes, we'll get it done. And that can be, that can be a negative in some situations where you need somebody to really think out a, a plan and have all the ducks in a row. So I, that's what I was looking for is somebody who has all their ducks in a row. I love that. <laughs> that's, I think that's going to have a lot of pearls of wisdom for people who are thinking about hiring. Exactly. Are those quizzes, can people just find those for free on the internet? Do you have to pay for people to use them? I think I used a free app called Crystal Nose. I think it's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-K-N-O-W-S.com. And then you can just have them sign up for a free account. I think there's a paid version too, but the free account will tell you their disc and their Myers-Briggs. Cool. I'm going to look into that. Well, I'm wishing you all the best with your new hire. Um, I guess by the time this airs, maybe you'll, you'll already be up and running. But yeah, that's really helpful to give us the background on how you went through that process. I guess we can shift now maybe to a little more marketing talk in terms of attracting people to your business. I know we touched a little bit on how you've attracted people to your marketing stuff, but how do you, are there different strategies for attracting people to your private practice versus, you know, marketing help? Yes, absolutely. Like it, it's totally different market. And I think that that's early on in my, um, in my business days, I, before I was work doing it full time when it was just a side hustle, I try, I had a little more money to test cause I was still working full time. So I tried so many different things that did not work. And I think that that's where I learned the most about what does work is by trying all the things that don't work first. At least that's what I like to tell myself. Um, but uh, I think with business marketing or B2B type businesses, the strategy is totally different than a B2C business, which is a business to consumer. So those of you who don't know those common abbreviations, B2B is business to business and B2C is business to consumer. So a marketing business is a B2B business and a dietitian private practice is a B2C business. Uh, and the thing about B2B businesses is that it's organic type marketing strategies, um, 
and like LinkedIn, for example, tend to work quite well. Whereas if you cold message people for B2C businesses, that doesn't quite work very well. So it, it, they're totally different businesses and they need different strategies. So for a B2C business, building a relationship with your customer always works, no matter what kind of business you have. Like building relationships is the foundation of being human, let alone having a business. But it just depends on whether or not you... Uh, are using advertisements, whether or not you're warming people up more. I find that when people are considering their health, they do need to have a trust factor with the dietitian that they're going to see. And so I, I definitely have always had to get people either on the phone in order to sell them on my services. That works quite well. Or, uh, and I've done that both organically and with paid ads, but just trying to sell services directly in an advertisement or trying to sell it directly on a webinar has never seemed to work very well for me unless it was a very low cost service. So if it's like a membership selling it on a webinar, especially if you give them like a free trial, but then they're coming in and then they're being warmed up because they're being part of your membership. So it, I just feel like with B2B, people are a little bit more willing to take a risk because they're entrepreneurs. So they're like, yes, I'll pay this marketing company to help me get leads versus somebody with their health if they're just a little bit more risk averse, which I think we entrepreneurs are a little bit bizarre in that we're a little bit more willing to take risks than the general public. Totally. And I feel like there's an aspect of, you know, you're investing, but since you are running a business, you feel like maybe that investment will come back to you with your enhanced skills, you know, you'll get more clients and more sales. Whereas maybe there's not that same promise with uh, investing in something for your health or any other just like be to, see offer, I guess. Yeah. I think you have to really spend more time to show the value of a B2C offer because with a B2B offer, like business owners know the value of their customers for the most part. Like I know that if I bring a customer into my private practice and they come to see me six times, I know the exact value. Like I can put a dollar figure on that quite easily with a, a little bit of simple math. But what is the value of your health, it, 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 it's definitely more valuable than business stuff, right? It's just a little bit more challenging to put a dollar number on it. You have to think a little bit harder. You have to think about like, okay, well, how many years of my life is, you know, health worth and how, how many doctors visits and like, how much does that cost? And how much do the pharmaceuticals cost? And it, it's, it takes a little bit more, more uh, of a thought challenge. And so it's our job as the dietitians to show people what that value is you, you can't expect people to do that in their head. They're not going to. They're just, if you confuse people, it's like Donald Miller says a lot. I love him too, by the way. He says, if you confuse, you lose. And so if you confuse your client as to what your services are worth, they're just not going to, they're just not going to sign up. So you have to be very clear on what you're providing and what that's worth to the client. And it's a little harder to do in health as, as compared to business. So many good insights. Was that, would that be something that you would put on like your sales page or would you weave it into your copy or? Yeah. I mean, if you wait until your sales page to close your client on the sale, then you just, you won't ever close them on the sale because it's, it's too late at that point. The sales page should be like they're 80% of the way sold and they just need a little like push over the edge. Uh, really your all your content should constantly be selling constantly. Um, and I know that's the opposite of what a lot of people in the dietitian world say, right? They say like, oh, well, your content should be educating. 
but I don't think that's true. I think if you rely on your content to educate people, that they'll see you as just another textbook or resource or uh, something that they could look up quite easily on Google, right? Like it's it, information is free and easy these days and people just don't pay for information anymore. They pay for coaching. They pay for transformation. They pay for somebody to walk along a journey with them. They pay for support. They don't pay for information, information they can find anywhere for free. So if you're, if your content is providing information, then I have to say that it's probably not going to work. What your content has to do is it has to take people on a journey where the next logical step is working with you in order to solve the problem that they have, right? So I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in just like pushing stuff out and then there's no bigger strategy. Like where is this leading people like down the customer journey or whatever, like from just learning about you to wanting to work with you and you're right. If you're just putting out content, then that's not going to lead necessarily someone to work with you. I also think it depends because I don't work with people one-on-one -on -one at all. So <laughs> you can have a business that doesn't involve services that still is monetized through content, but it's an entirely different strategy. <laughs> yeah. Just being aware of where you're trying to go and not getting too like confused and taking something from this person and something from this person. And then you're not building a strategic funnel or business that's actually leading to sales, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I do think content can be valuable. And I've had a few conversations with Anna Riesdorf about this because she doesn't really do copywriting type of content. She does um, educational, informational content. And I do think that, that that can help to build a brand. But if you do nothing but that, then you're missing out on the opportunity to sell to people. And a lot of times content has sales woven throughout it. So it's like partially informational and partially sales content. And I think it can, it can be a balance. Uh, I think people like content. They like to watch content. They like to read content. And people especially like content that's going to save them time and money, right? So if you put together a recipe blog or you put together a recipe collection that helps people save 30 minutes on their dinner time prep, yeah, people are definitely going to check it out. But if you just put the content out and you never capitalize on the fact that there is an ideal audience right there that's willing and able to purchase something from you, then you're just missing out on the opportunity to monetize that and to continue to do more of that. And then the more that we do this as dietitians, the more we get to help people eat healthier and the more we get to help people not have to be in the hospital. And so there's just like the bigger picture is, is so amazingly important that I, I feel like sometimes we hold back and we forget what we're actually doing as dietitians in helping people. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you just sort of gleaned this knowledge over years of trial and error? Or is there anything that you would recommend to a, a brand new newbie in terms of getting their bearings on starting an online business or attracting people to their in-person business even via the internet? Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely wrote a lot of blog posts to crickets and I, I've definitely put a lot of videos out there that got like two views, like my mom and like maybe my dad. Um, but I, I think it's a combination of practice and, and learning. So you practice and then maybe you do take an online course. I do. I mean, Business by Design was amazing. I think I'm going to try to be an affiliate for them next year because I thought it was a really great program. Um, I've, I've taken quite a few. I've taken a few, one of Stephanie Claremont's programs on creating an online course. I've taken... Um, 
I've taken so many online courses. I took a Facebook advertising course specifically for agency owners. When I decided I wanted to be an agency owner, I was like, okay, well, I need to learn how to do this. So I took a course on that. Um, I, I'm really excited to at some point take your SEO courses, but I have to put that on my list of like things that I need to get to. Uh, but yeah, I've taken a lot of online courses. So I think it's a combination. If you just take courses and you don't ever take action, then you just have a whole bunch of knowledge that you've never used. Uh, and one of the things my mentors like to say is it's, it's like riding a bicycle. Like you could read a hundred books on how to ride a bicycle, but until you actually get on the, on the bicycle and try and fall over a few dozen times, you know, you just, you're not going to learn how to do it. You had, there's a feel to it. There's, there's a muscle memory to it. And so creating content is the same way. And I have to say the first content that you create is not going to be very good. I mean, it just isn't like, it's going to suck, even with a college degree, even as a dietitian. But as you continue to create content, you just get better at it and you get more natural. I don't, I sound natural on camera now because I've done it a thousand times, you know, and I've probably deleted half of them because they were so bad. <laughs> so you just have to practice and I just, there's no other way around it. I, with my writing, at least in terms of blogging and even writing emails, Sometimes I'll actually like study what other people are doing when something really connects with me. I'm like, why is this connecting with me? Like, what are they doing? And how can I maybe take that into my business, you know, for whatever I'm working on? So that's been really helpful too. Yeah. I do that all the time. I do that now with ads on TV or billboards. I'm like, uh, my husband, he just rolls his eyes at me now because he's like, you're so crazy. But I'll, I'll point out a, a billboard and something I'm like, that is great copy right there. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll remember an advertisement like Geico or something like that. And I'll remember like the, like the camel or whatever. And I'm like hump day camel. And then I'm like, yeah, that's a good ad because you remember it even after um, you're not watching it anymore. You, you recognize the brand and then people actually take that into their life as like an inside joke that it's a cultural thing. So if you're advertising, uh, can create a brand, can create a cultural identity, can create an emotional response, whether it's laughter. Laughter is a really great thing to use, but even if it's, um, even if it's a painful emotion, a lot of my copy on my Facebook ads is the emotions of what it's like to struggle with food because I've, I've been there before. And that is very powerful to people because they relate to it. So once you start creating good content and good copy, you recognize when other people are creating it. And likewise, you recognize when other people's content is really bad too. And you're like, oh, that's not going to convert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Which is funny because when I look back on my own stuff, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> like, no wonder I sold one. What do you think, so if you maybe had to sum it up, what do you think makes good copy in your eyes? I think stories and emotions make the best copy. So, and I do have some people going through um, my program right now that uh, I, I started a program called Interactive Marketing Method. Um, I think interactive is a big thing for 2020. People don't want to just be like, lectured to anymore. They want to interact. And so that's why things like quizzes and things like chatbots are working really well because it's very interactive. But I think also you have to weave in some emotions into that because people make decisions that are emotional and then they go back and justify it later with their brain. Uh, and that happens with both food and buying decisions. So when you talk about motivational interviewing and people are like, oh, I just decided to go out to eat because it was easy and because 
you know, when you think about it, it's three or four dollars versus like I'd have to go to the grocery store and buy like twenty dollars dollars worth of food and then prepare that and then I'd waste half of it. All that reasoning didn't happen in the moment that they made the decision. It happened afterwards. And we recognize that when we're counseling people on a one-on-one basis, we're like, okay, we have to get this person to sort of come out of that justification mode and sort of realize that they're just justifying their decision after they made it. And it's, it's not easy to do in dietetics, but it's also not easy to do with buying decisions because you have to get to that emotional part of people in order to get them to change. So that's why I say it's very similar to motivational interviewing is you have to get that emotional part of them out in order for them to say, oh, there's something I got to do about this. Okay, I'm going to buy this product or, or buy this service. Um, and so, and then stories I think are very powerful, not only because they are usually emotional, but also because they allow you to have proof that something that you've done is, is working and has worked for other people. Um, but also because people love stories, like just look at, at Hollywood, like our, our whole society is built around going to the movies and watching stories of heroes and heroines and uh, all the fun things that we watch on the movie screen. And so people just don't, they don't want to be lectured to. They want a fun story about a client that has overcome a problem, or if you don't even have that yet and you're just starting out, what about what you've overcome in your own life? People love that kind of stuff. They love a rags to riches story and they love hearing other people who have overcome something hard in their lives. I haven't read the story brand book, but is that something that they talk about in that book or build a story brand? Yes. Yeah, that is a great book. Uh, I'm an avid reader. And so I read, I probably read a book a day. I'm just, I'm a little bit psychotic about it. Um, but I read quite a few books. So I've read Story Brand. Um, and that is one of my favorite books I've read. You know, Don, Donald Miller, Don Miller and Dave Ramsey are very closely connected. So I've read a lot of the Dave Ramsey books, like Entree Leadership and all that kind of stuff. Those are all really good books too. Um, Christy Wright has a book called Business Boutique, which I've read that one. That one's really good too. So I just think the more you read, the more that not only you help grow yourself, but the more you give yourself ideas for content too. So I don't know if you've run up against this objection, but I have seen people bring it up to me and like just online in general. But I think there's like a bit of a block in some people where they feel like if they're playing on people's emotions, they're being like spammy or manipulative in their marketing. Like, where do you think that comes from? And do you have any sort of counter argument to that belief? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before. And I mean, I think it's common for us to to feel like we are manipulating people by playing on their emotions, but I think that everything in our lives is emotional. And maybe that comes from the side of me that's an ENFP. <laughs> so I'm a, a feeling, perceiving type of person. So I am just a very emotional person, a highly sensitive person. Um, so that's a big part of me. But I think even when you're talking to a friend and you're telling them about a store that you went to that you really loved, you're talking about like, you're not like, oh, their shirts are, are great. You, you talk about like, that store is amazing. You walk into it and you just feel so well cared for and everybody really, really wants to help you. And so if you think about any sort of selling situation, even if you're, we're selling all the time, even if it's not something that we're 
going to benefit from financially. Like maybe you're selling going to Longhorn Steakhouse for dinner tonight to your husband because you don't want to cook. So you're like, wouldn't it be nice, honey, if we just like, if we didn't have to do the dishes tonight and we could just sit at the table and like relax and watch the kids color, like that just would be so nice. So you're playing on his emotions. Are you manipulating your husband? Like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe I am. I don't know. Um, so, uh, so I think that everything that we do in our lives is, is very much emotional. And if you look at the data and the research, it shows this to be true. And, and that's why motivational interviewing works is because you make people talk about the emotional side of their change and change talk is what you call it. If you guys have studied MI, you make them start doing change talk because they're telling you about the reason why they want to change and their family and and you you get like that inner motivation out of them and that's what gets them to change so you have to do the same thing in sales like you you if you don't do that you won't make the sale you have to do it that makes a lot of sense i see the the overlap and the connection there which it's interesting like that means all the work that we've done as dietitians, we can really draw on that in another in another application that we might not think of. Yeah. And I think you're right, like just from my own perspective, even if I am writing something that's emotional or like getting someone to envision the change or whatever, I feel like if you really believe in what you have to offer people and you you know that you're helping people, then it's not coming from a spammy or manipulative place. I think Maybe some people have, I mean, probably we all have had spammy sales experiences where we bought something and it didn't pan out to be what we wanted it to be. But I think as long as you know that what you're offering is is legit, then the energy around that is not going to be spammy. Yeah. And it's your energy that's what's attracting people. So I've always told people in my sales conversations that I'm never pushy and there's never a lot of pressure. They just see the vision that I see and that's what makes them buy. So they're like, I just saw myself as this person who could be healthy when I was doing nutrition sales, this person who could be healthy and could have a meal plan and have it under control and could eat a good diet and could take control of her health. And that's why I bought, you know, your services, or that's why I showed up for my appointment. Um, and that's the biggest challenge we have in private practice is getting people to show up. And that's a sales tactic. You have to sell to get people to show up for an appointment they don't pay for their insurance companies paying, you know? So yeah, we can do cancellation fees and all that, but you have to just get people to believe in the bigger purpose behind it. And then you don't need any of that other stuff because they're, they're bought in. And so I think that that's what excites me so much about sales and marketing is getting people to buy into something that's actually good for them instead of just like the next iPhone or whatever. I mean, granted, iPhones are pretty cool, like nothing against Apple, but like you're getting people to buy into something that's going to change their whole lives, like their health of them, not only themselves, but think about their, their kids, you know, that if they start eating differently, their kids are going to eat differently. Our whole society is going to eat differently. We're going to have better environment because people are going to choose more plant-based foods, um, whether or not you're a vegetarian, you know, if people choose more vegetables, it's better for everyone. Um, there's going to be less drugs that people have to take. Like just the whole, you have to believe in that vision yourself first of why you're doing it, why you think it's important. Because if you don't believe in it wholeheartedly, then you're not going to be able to get somebody else to. And once you believe in it, you just have to transfer that energy to that, that person. And then they believe in it and then they purchase and if they didn't spend the money on you, what would they spend it on? A flat screen TV, you know? Right. And I think 
we are so highly qualified and educated as dietitians, and then we're sort of thrown out into the world and we don't have any training on marketing or how to connect with people or how to spread our message in person or online, or at least I didn't in my schooling. So that's part of what I'm trying to help people with, with this podcast too, is just like getting insights into other people who have done it and their best advice and feedback and suggestions for those people moving forward. So it's not such a big mystery and we can become more visible and I don't know, sort of elevate dietitians. Yeah, I love that. And see, that's a, that's a great mission. And I think that it's just another skill and it's just another skill that we can learn. And if we, if we stop being so overwhelmed and intimidated by it, then, you know, and I was too, at first, I was very overwhelmed and intimidated. Like I said, my husband had to get my first client for me. So, but now that I've learned it, now that's when I'm excited about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I can do this, you know, and anybody could do it. You just have to learn. What are, if you had to pick out maybe like the most common copywriting mistakes that you see dietitians making most often, what do you think those would be? Mm, Okay. Well, I guess my first one would be not being descriptive enough. Um, I think, you know, we, we want to (laughs) write more scientific. We want to say like, come to my webinar to learn how to control diabetes. Right. Okay. So that, that could be an example. It's like one I worked on earlier today. Uh, instead you need to be more descriptive and say, this webinar is about how our clients reduced their A1C by up to three points by changing these things in their diet. Right? So I, you just have to be a little more descriptive than you're comfortable with and very results focused. So, um, our clients reduce their fasting blood sugar by 20 points or up to 20 points. If you don't want to make like a promise that you don't think that you can realistically make, by using these three simple strategies, which I'm going to share with you on this webinar. So instead of like, this is a webinar, like for my anxiety program, this is a webinar about anxiety. It's like, no, this is a webinar about the three simple things that you can do tomorrow to control your anxiety levels or the three simple things that our clients have done, which a lot of times you have to say that to get around Facebook's little algorithm. Um, it's not getting around it. It's just being honest. Like you, you can't promise something to somebody that you don't know that they can achieve. So instead you can just tell them what your clients have done. So our clients have used these strategies in order to control their anxiety through diet, whatever. So just be a more, more descriptive. I think another thing is, is being very specific. I think it's kind of the same thing, but using like actual numbers and data public loves this. They, even if you pull it out of a study, you don't have to pull it out. Like it doesn't have to be your client's results. You can do a webinar um, or uh, a talk on Facebook since webinars aren't really converting well anymore. I know I said that earlier. Um, You can do a talk on Facebook or send an email out about a new study that came out that reduced people's uh, cholesterol by 23 points by doing these changes, but just don't give away what you're going to talk about in you know, I think that's another mistake is people give away too much. They're like, I'm going to talk about fiber and exercise and, um, and eating fruits and vegetables. People are going to be like, okay, like I know I should eat more fiber, fruits and vegetables and get more exercise. And then they just dismiss it. So instead there has to be a little bit of a mystery behind what you're going to talk about. And you do have to build it up a little bit in people's minds you know, and make it sound like something different than 
um, the same old stuff they've heard a million times before. That's what gets people excited about things like fiber. If you say something like, okay, so we learned this new thing about fiber and that there's this, this type of fiber you can get that actually will make your gut feel cleaned out. It will give you better bowel movements. Um, it, it absorbs water into your gut. Like, you know, I'm talking about soluble fiber, right? But you know, you don't say that. You just say, you, you, you make it like really exciting for the person and they don't know what soluble fiber is. Like 90% of people have no clue what soluble fiber is. But so if you make it this exciting new thing, even though we know it's not new, and you build it up a little bit, people can be like, yes, this is really exciting. I found out about this new type of fiber, and it like helps my gut, and it builds all these good bacteria, and then they get excited about it. And that helps kind of people have the same excitement that you had about fiber when you were going to school, you know? That's so true with the leaving people hanging or a little bit of excitement or unknown. Like those are also the type of email subject lines that I always open. <laughs> I'm like, or if they're trying to get me to read their blog post, I'm like, oh, the three things I shouldn't be doing. I have to click it. Like, <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's, it's a very old technique. Direct response copywriting has been around for ages. It's just now we have the internet. Um, people used to do this on radio all the time. So we're going to talk about, and when we come back from break, about the three things that you should be checking on your car so that you don't get in a car accident. You know, like you've heard that kind of stuff your whole life. So it's just taking that and saying like, okay, they're doing this for a reason. They want you to keep your radio on so that you listen to the commercial so that they make money. So how can we translate that into how we sell our services? You just have to have a little bit of a, a mystery, a little bit of a, uh, an it factor, right? A, a little bit of um, mystery behind it. So if somebody was listening to this interview and they're convinced, they're like, okay, I get it. I need to focus on copywriting. Do you have any suggestions on how to take action on it? Like, do you have a system? Do you write your copy one day a week, once a month? Like, do you hire it out or not you probably, but you know, could somebody hire it out? What's your advice there? Yeah, you could hire it out. And I tried that at first, but nobody knows your audience like you do. You know, even when I'm copywriting for a client, I have to really get to know their audience first. And I talk to them quite a lot about who their clients are so that I can try to, to get in their voice. So I think it's, even if you do end up hiring it out, try to learn it yourself first so that you even know what good copy looks like. Because if you hire it out and you hire, like I did, you hire somebody who sucks at copywriting, then you're not even going to know what good copy and what bad copy is. You have to be able to at least recognize like, yes, that's good copy right there. Uh, so that's what I would recommend is, is trying to learn the basics of it. Um, I joined a ton of Facebook groups on copywriting. I think a good one is the cult of copy. So that's a really interesting one. Uh, has quite a few members. Um, Digital Marketer has quite a lot of free resources around copywriting. They have a lot of paid resources too, but they do have a fair amount of, of free stuff. Uh, and then, you know, it's just like if somebody gets interested in nutrition, they start following all the people who talk about nutrition, like you guys, right? Um, so if you're interested in copywriting, start following all the people that talk about copywriting and you will pick up some things. Um, and then just also watching what your competitors are doing. So I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but Facebook has an ads library. I think it's just like facebook.com backslash ads backslash library. I don't know. Maybe you can find it and link it. Um, 
in the notes, but it, it's basically all of your competitors' ads just like there for you to browse. So if you make it a habit of every day for 15 minutes going and looking at ads and actually, like you said, Erica, studying them and asking yourself like, well, why are they saying it this way? Why is this working? Generally, ads that have a lot of shares and a lot of comments are good ads because that means either A, it's gotten a lot of engagement, or B, it was performing so well that they kept it running for a really, really long time. So look for the ads that have a lot of comments and shares, and then ask yourself, why, why is that ad effective? And then when you start following a lot of your competitors online, like WildFit or like Dr. Axe or whatever, then you'll see their ads and stuff pop up in your feed, and you can look at them and analyze them. Go through and click everything and sign up for everything with a junk email account. Keep a separate email just for like your, you know, your junk email that you can go through and look at the headlines, look at the email copy, look at what they're trying to sell you and look at how they're doing it because they're doing it because it works. And so if you want yours to work, you need to do something kind of similar. How often do you go back and try to figure out what's working or not working? What, what should you be looking for? Yeah, so it it's all about the data, really. Like it really is, and so it's just like nutrition. And I know I keep saying that, and that like and I'm just trying to empower you that you because you can you can manage a tube feed, you can definitely do copywriting. Like you go back and you look at their labs the next day, and you say, oh, okay, well this form, tube feeding formula had a little bit too much potassium. Even if you never practiced in a hospital, you did that as an intern. And so if you're, um, and I don't know if. if this is just dietitians listening, but I know all of you have done something that required that analytical side of your brain in order to achieve that. So you just go back and you say, how, if it's a Facebook post, how many people commented it? How many people shared it? How many people liked it? Um, did it get more traction? If it gets more comments and shares, that's more traction if you're doing organic. If you're doing ads, you want to look at your cost per click and also your cost per lead. Those are the most important metrics there. So how much did it cost to get somebody to even click on your ad? Um, there's two different types of clicks on Facebook. There's like the see more click. Uh, and, and then there's the link click that takes them to the landing page. So you, you want to make sure that you're evaluating what's taking people to the landing page. Because if they're clicking see more, that's a good thing. But really what you want to do is get them on the landing page. So see so, more would be like expanding the text, basically, if you wrote something really long. Yeah, if you, and all my copy is really long because that's what works really well. But uh, so that you'll have two different click-through rates there. You'll have the click-through rate of any click at all, even if they expand the text, and then the click-through rate to your page, and then the cost per click, um, which does fluctuate based on the time of year. So if it's the holiday season, like we just, um, I know this is coming out in January, so but in like between Black Friday and Christmas, your cost per click is higher because all the e-com people e-commerce people are uh, pushing out their ads. So you definitely have to spend a little bit more to get the same amount of leads. But um, your cost per click is what to look for. And that's what's going to tell you if your copy on your ad is converting. And then your cost per lead is going to tell you if your landing page is converting. Um, and so that you just, you look at the data of what is working and what's not, and then you just adjust it until it works. So helpful. I think understanding those different terms is really going to help people and what they mean and why they matter. Before we wrap up, just really quick, what do you think is an average amount that someone should be spending if there is one on maybe Facebook ads, for example? What is a good cost per lead or cost per click? Just something ballparky 
for people who have no frame of reference? Yeah, and I didn't when I first started. I wish I really wish somebody would give me one. So I'm I'm happy to do that. Um, you know, guideline is you should spend about 10% of your revenue on marketing. That's just a rough guideline. You spend whatever you can. But I tell you one thing is if you don't spend any money on marketing, then you don't really have a business, right? You, you, marketing is part of business. So I would say if you can't spend anything, at least look into your personal budget and see what you can cut out of that and spend that amount. So for example, when I first started my business, my husband and I cut off our cable and um, we cut off a lot of our, uh, you know, ex extrafluous. Is that a word? I don't superfluous? Know. <laughs> superfluous. I think that's the word I was looking for. Expenses that we didn't really need to spend. And we spent it on Facebook ads. So even just starting out, you can spend like $5 a day just to start collecting some data. And a lot of the clients that hire me to do their ads for them, we start them at $5 a day. Just And I, I'm realistic with them. And I say like $5 a day is just going to get you a little bit of an idea of what's working and what's not. But it's really slow to find out at $5 a day. If you have $50, a day to spend on it and you have that money I'm not telling anybody to go into debt in order to run Facebook ads but if you have the money to spend the more you spend the faster you'll learn what's working and what's not and then the faster you can change it to, to make something work um, but don't spend money you don't have you know reinvest some of the money that you make in your business by seeing clients back into advertising so that you can get more clients um, and a, a general cost per lead that's pretty good um, I get leads for around 50 cents to a dollar, um, but I have been doing this quite a few years and I've gotten pretty good at it. So if you're first starting out, I would say if you can get leads for somewhere between the two and five dollar range that you're doing pretty good and then just keep testing and trying to improve it. Um, I would kill an ad when it gets to the point where it's spent three to four times of your your. Uh, your goal for your cost per lead. So if you want your cost per lead to be $5 and your ad spend about $20, I would just kill it and then try something else. Um, and you just think about how many times we waste 20 bucks in our lives. Like, you know, like you can waste 20 bucks on Facebook ads because the purpose is it's helping you learn what works on Facebook ads, right? So it's a $20 well spent. Um, I've spent quite a few thousand dollars on Facebook ads and that's really what helps you learn what works and what doesn't. Um, and I tell you, it's a lot easier than running a newspaper print ad and then having to, you know, spend thousands of dollars when it's not working. Right. And so much easier to track like what's, how it's working because you can see what the clicks and then what people are doing on your website once they get there. I guess, I feel like I could talk about just Facebook ads for like two hours, but just really, I have one last question. When, when you run the Facebook ad, I've seen people say like, oh, don't run the ad like right to your sales page because then potentially those are like cold people arriving straight on your sales page and they're going to be like kind of put off by that. Like, how do you feel? What should you be running the ad to? If What are your strategies? Yeah, it so depends on the product and the price of the product. So if you have a entry level product that's like 20 bucks or 27 bucks or something like that. And maybe it's like a challenge or something like that. And then yeah, you could run a Facebook ad directly to it and see how it converts. And at the point that it, you know, it, it costs more to get people to buy it than the product is worth, then I would, I would kill it. So if you're spending $27 to even get somebody to, to purchase it, then, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe if it's breaking even, you could potentially get those customers to buy something else. Um, like an upsell, which is another word that a lot of marketers use. But um, 
So it was probably worth it just to get the customer, to acquire the customer. A lot of times people plan to break even for the first purchase of the customer. Even brick and mortar businesses do that. Uh, so I don't think that there's a rule that you can't do it. I just think it is more challenging because people who know you are way more willing to buy from you than people who don't know you. So usually what I do is run some of my videos to people. And then that's why you'll see if you go on my page, I think it's like facebook.com slash Samantha Lee RD, that they'll see my videos and you'll see some of them have thousands and tens of thousands of views. It's not because I have a great organic following. It's because I ran ads to them. <laughs> and so, and then when they watch the video, that shows me that they're interested. And then I show them another video. And then when they watch that video, then I show them another video. And then maybe after three or four videos, I'll show them an offer. And then if they don't purchase the offer, then I put them back in a video sequence. I show them a video, a different video, so they don't keep getting the same video over and over. And then another video, and then another video, and then an offer. And, and that, that kind of helps people know who you are, and then they're way more likely to purchase if they watched a few of your videos. This sounds very familiar. It's kind of like what I do or am about to start doing. I have it all written and I haven't pressed go yet because I'm waiting till my next live launch, but I have sort of a system like that set up with my email marketing, not live videos, but recorded stuff. Yeah, it's very similar to email marketing in that like you you have an email sequence, right? And then you show them an offer, but then you don't just show them offer, 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 like people would just unsubscribe. And on Facebook, they'll just hide your ads, like it's the same kind of thing as unsubscribing. So if if you want to get people interested, you need to give them some content, right? So it, it all comes back to content. So you give them a little bit of content, you give them a little bit of something to focus on, and then you show them an offer and so that you're not just constantly hitting them with offers. Mm -hmm. And then thinking about how the content lines up with the offer. It's like so obvious now, but when you're first starting out, I feel like it's not really that organized. <laughs> and then after you follow on your face a few times, you're like, oh, oh I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little harder to do than it is to talk about. But yeah, I had a client one time that had a... Um, an, a, a sequence that was about, I think it was about um, menopause, right? And then she showed them an offer that was about sleep. And to her, it made perfect sense. She was like, well, if you're in menopause, you're probably not sleeping. And so therefore, you would want to program about how to sleep better to help with your menopause symptoms. But it simply was not converting because it didn't line up exactly. And people get confused. And like Don Miller says, if you confuse people, then you lose them. So they didn't understand why they were seeing an offer about a sleep program when they had been seeing a whole bunch of stuff about menopause. So you just, you really do have to be careful that, you know, if your content you're running is about anxiety, your program should be about anxiety. If your content you're running is about diabetes, your program should be about diabetes. But sometimes it's easier to say than to do. Totally. Just having a second set of eyes, like looking at your stuff, I feel like can be very helpful. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom today. I learned a ton. I know everybody listening is probably taking serious notes. And probably people are going to want to follow you to keep up with all this great insight that you have. So where should people go if they want to keep in touch? Well, I am on Facebook. Uh, that's where I hang out most of the time because that's where I do most of my marketing. So uh, my personal profile, I actually do a lot of business stuff there. So you can follow me there. It's facebook.com slash Samantha Lee 
nutrition, I believe it is, um, or just type in Samantha Lee Scruggs. And then I also have a few pages, uh, marketing practices with Samantha Lee. And then my main page that I run nutrition content on is Samantha Lee RD. Great. And I will link to all of this in the show notes for everyone. Do you have a page for people to go to perhaps if they would like to work with you? Should they just send you a DM? What's your process for that? Yeah, send me a message on Messenger. And that's, um, you know, it's funny because people are like, do you have a website? And I'm like, "Um, actually, no, I'm too busy for a website right now. Uh, I have my nutrition practice website, but just DM me and uh, we'll get you taken care of. See, it's so great though. Like you don't have to have every single tiny thing in order to have a successful business. I feel the same way. I totally neglected my unconventional RD blog. I was just basically present in the Facebook group and I sold $70,000 worth of courses in one year. So it's like, exactly. if you're helping and you have your audience and you can connect with them, that's a great starting point and you can continue to, to pin it down from there. But don't let it hold you back for anyone listening. Don't need to have every little thing that people say you need to have. It's more about the connection, I think, with your audience. Yeah, I totally agree. Great. Well, um, thanks again for being here. I had a great time chatting with you and I hope we can have you back sometime. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> that was that was fun. <laughs> I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode and have some amazing takeaways to apply to your own business. If you're looking for the links to anything that we mentioned in today's episode, just head over to theunconventionalrd.com slash episode 004. And you can find the show notes there with links to everything that we talked about. Thanks so much and look forward to chatting next week.